We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app welcome to face connecticut an in-depth look at today's issues good morning and welcome to another edition of face connecticut on wtic news talk 1080 96.5 tic fm and light 100.5 wrch Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by John Erlinghauser. He is Advocacy and Outreach Director for AARP Connecticut. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. It's uh, good to be with you again. Well, John, let's start with COVID-19 and the vaccine rollout. People 65 and older officially last Thursday could start making appointments. What are you hearing from people who are trying to get vaccinated? First of all, I'd like to say, you know, thank the governor and the task force for um, hearing our call to vaccinate, you know, and and extend uh, 1B to the age 65 and older population. So that's that's a good thing. Um, And, you know, we're hearing, you know, some positive things out of this. Um, Last Thursday was the first day that those 65 and older can register for the vaccine. Um, and, you know, it's going fairly well. The numbers are, are, are fairly well in the state of Connecticut for those getting vaccinated. Uh, but a lot more work has to be done. A lot of towns are, are not even at the 50% mark in terms of those 75 and older who have been vaccinated. So, um, you know, AARP is doing a lot of work to reach out to our membership and to the public in general to encourage folks to register for the vaccine and and get vaccinated. So, uh, you know, it's the only way we're going to get through this pandemic. On the nursing home front with vaccines, you know, we're very pleased that um, nursing home deaths have come down tremendously. And that's because we've been successful in the state of Connecticut at getting, you know, the nursing home population vaccinated. That's where a lot of the deaths in uh, uh, from COVID have occurred. So, you know, that's, that's a good sign. Um, but a lot more work has to be done. And, uh, you know, folks have to really get out there and understand uh, that this is important for everybody that they get vaccinated. What are some of the common hurdles you've heard of about getting that COVID-19 vaccine appointment? I I know there were some call center issues initially. The state recently staffed up that that contact center. Have things gotten better? Yeah, things are are starting to get better. And and that was an issue initially. In fact, a lot of the calls that ARP received early on with the vaccine rollout revolved around two areas. And those were that, you know, why weren't people in that 65 and older group being allowed to get vaccinated in that first wave? And then the other was that because they were doing the 75 and older group, um, a lot of that population isn't, doesn't have a computer or have the ability to access a computer, uh, particularly with senior centers and other places closed. So they were left to call the call center. The administration did heed the call on that and 
bumped up the call center. So that is uh, starting to go a lot better. And, you know, Aaron, I want to just uh, point out for folks, AARP, for those that um, have the ability to get on a computer, has created a a Connecticut-specific website for the vaccine, um, and that is at www.aarp.org forward slash CT vaccine. And you can go onto that website, and uh, it has all the information about Connecticut's rollout and how you register the vaccine. Um, what the, the differences between the vaccines, between Pfizer and Moderna, for example, um, and uh, has the 800 number for the vaccine and, uh, you know, a link to the page uh, to register. So a lot of good information about being vaccinated, um, Connecticut's rollout plan, and, uh, you know, you know everything you would need to know about the vaccine. So I would encourage people to go to that website. Are you hearing from seniors that they're eager to get vaccinated or do they still have some reservations? Most of the calls that we've received have been from people eager to get vaccinated. Um, you know, I think it's it's been very hard for folks, uh, you know, older folks who have grandchildren that they haven't been able to see. Um, you know, we're all doing this remote thing and that's a, a good thing that we have technology in this day and age. But, uh, you know, they're they're feeling disconnected from one another. It's made it easier to try to get people to see their loved ones in the nursing homes, you know. So, yeah, you know, the the older population is pretty much more interested in getting vaccine than a lot of other populations. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the successful history they see that older population with vaccines going all the I know in my household um, growing up, my mother used to you know, canonize Dr. Salk with the polio vaccine, you know, because they grew up with that, you know, so, so there is a a real desire for that population to get vaccinated. And I think it's really at this point about getting them the right information, uh, getting them the access to be able to get the vaccine um, and, and the state of Connecticut getting the uh, vaccines that are needed in order to get people, not only their first shot, but their second shot because both of the vaccines that are available here in Connecticut right now, Pfizer and Moderna, you know, require that second shot after about three weeks. So I think it's critical. I think people have to pay attention. And uh, I, I really would encourage folks to get registered for a vaccine and get the vaccine. With that second shot, has there been some confusion about the whole scheduling thing? I've heard some clinics schedule you for that second shot when you get your first one and others say, oh, wait, and then, you know, contact us or or go online to see when you can get that second appointment? Most of the mass vaccination sites are are scheduling folks for the vaccine when you get the first vaccine. Um, So, you know, there are some issues in some of the other locations, but um, we haven't heard a lot about that. There is a little bit about that, but I think that's getting cleared up. How does Connecticut compare in the rollout when you look at, at other states, I heard a, an interview recently with one of your AARP colleagues down in Florida, and she was discussing some of the issues they've had down there with vaccine tourism and, and things really slow to get started. Is, is Connecticut a leader when it comes to getting shots in arms? Well, yeah, I mean, in, uh, in the you know first initial vaccine, you know, we're right up in the top three. And, uh, you know, we're in the top 10 when it comes to the second vaccine. So we have some work to do there. But um, I, I do have to say that, uh, you know, we we would hope that we can get more people into this uh, phase 1A. You know, our membership is 50 and older, and we think it should be 50 and older, frankly. But Connecticut is doing a good job, not only with vaccination, but with how we've been able to uh, heed 
the public health officials advice and keep infection rates down and and everything else. So uh, we're we're in pretty good shape here in Connecticut. You mentioned the vaccine rollout. Could, could in- get better, though. <laughs> <laughs> it can always be better. Sure. You mentioned the vaccine rollout in nursing homes and, and the, the tremendous loss of death there was in Connecticut long-term care facilities early on in the pandemic. What's the situation on the ground now? What are you hearing? Well, I mean, you know, there, there, so there are a lot of issues with the nursing homes. Um, you know, we're, we're looking here in Connecticut, for example, um, about 14,000 residents of nursing homes have been affected with COVID-19 and there've been about 4,000 deaths attributable to uh, residents of nursing homes. So it's been an issue, but what COVID has done is really exposed a lot of the, you know, kind of longstanding problems that have existed in nursing homes. Uh, A lot of nursing homes have just never had adequate staffing levels. The staff often make low wages. Some facilities have like three or four people living in a single room, which helped contribute to the problem with the infection rates in nursing homes. You know, so in some of the places have had lapses in infection control going back way before the COVID. So there've been a lot of issues. And like many areas that we'll probably discuss today, COVID has really exposed structural problems that existed before. Um, so having said that, you know, we're very pleased that the governor, for example, finally has lifted the civil immunity uh, restriction that has been in place and it'll be uh, lifted uh, as of March 1st. And we applaud the governor for taking that step. Um, the n- nursing homes have kind of pushed back throughout this pandemic saying, oh, you know, they're doing the right thing. A lot of nursing homes have done the right thing there's still some bad actors out there. And if they haven't, since this pandemic began almost a year ago, cleaned up their act, um, then, you know, they shouldn't continue to be shielded behind the protection of civil immunity. Um, You know, and what's interesting about that is, you know, nobody's advocating for there to be hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits against uh, skilled care facilities. But there has to be at least some... uh, you know, pressure put on nursing homes that are not doing the right thing. Many, many, many of them are, and and we applaud those that are. But for those that aren't, there has to be improvement or there have to be consequences. And so we, we applaud the governor for doing the right thing there. Has the pandemic exposed some issues related to nursing homes that you feel should be addressed legislatively? The session is underway. We heard from the governor last week in his budget address. What is AARP advocating for in terms of long-term care facilities? Well, you know, we have to increase staffing levels in these nursing homes and increase the wage levels. And and there will be legislation to do uh, both of those things. Um, You know, we all, you know, patient uh, staff ratios have to come down. So there are lots of things that can be done. One of the other issues that's a big one is, is, you know, we think there should be the ability to have cameras in rooms. Um, And, you know, it, it just only makes sense. And the pandemic kind of exposed what we had been saying about having cameras in rooms for several years, you know, all of a sudden when, when the pandemic hit, people were shut off from their loved ones and people were dying, never having to see, never having the ability to see their loved ones again, dying alone with strangers. And that's not right. And if we had the ability to have, you know, cameras in rooms, you would be able to have that connection with your loved ones. So, you know, that that's that's a big issue. And, and so we're pushing very hard on those areas legislatively. And there will be legislation on, on those. And, and to some degree, there is already. So we're hopeful that, uh, you know, with the lens of the 
pandemic exposing some of these issues, um, we'll get those things done. Funding for nursing homes has been boosted by the state during the pandemic. Is that something you feel should stick around after things uh, begin to get back to normal? Well, you know, it depends. You know, here's the thing. It depends on what the funding is being used for. Right. I mean, so if funding is going towards direct care, yes. <laughs> if it's going to solve structural de- deficiencies that have that have existed prior to the pandemic, then no. You know, so so that's where we would stand on on that issue. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to John Erlinghauser. He is advocacy and outreach director for AARP Connecticut. One more nursing home question. What is the status of visitation right now? I know the rules can vary from facility to facility, but during the height of the pandemic, we you know saw people doing visits through outdoor windows. Has the situation changed since we we saw those images? Um, you know, to some degree, it has. Um, it's starting to get better, but but you know, the fact is, you know, not every you know not all the staff in nursing homes are vaccinated. You know, so it, it depends on the facility. And, uh, you know, we're hoping that we get to a place. Um, the governor certainly thinks we can get to a place where um, we can get back to having uh, in-person visitations in many of these homes. We're hopeful for that. Um, but uh, you're, you're right. I mean, one of the issues I mentioned cameras before, um, you know, one of the issues that's been problematic in that arena is, you know, kind of the digital divide that exists as it relates to um high-speed internet and broadband service, right? I mean, some of these facilities are in areas where you, it's not even accessible. So there are lots of problems and lots of issues that have to be dealt with. We're hopeful that it'll get better. Um, and, uh, you know, we think we're on the path to get better, but it goes back to um, the first things we talked about, getting vaccinated as soon as you can get vaccinated within the, the schedule set forth by Connecticut and um, heeding the public health warnings uh, by wearing masks and washing hands and keeping social distancing. Um, and, you know, eventually we'll get back to normal. That's a perfect segue to talking about the digital divide and, and telecommunications in, in the larger sense. What needs to be done to extend high-speed internet to areas of Connecticut that don't have it where, you know, a lot of folks are, are older and have trouble connecting? Yeah, I mean, it's a big issue. Um, you know, it's it's not only for the, you know, important for um, the visitation for folks in nursing homes, uh, but it's also important for, you know, people like myself that are working from home now because of the pandemic. It's per, it's important because of telehealth. Um, you know, telehealth became a huge um, tool that was able to be used during the pandemic, uh, remote learning and education. Right. I mean, you have places like the city of New Britain that is virtually non-connected for many folks. Um, So it's a big thing, a big, important thing. The governor has made it a priority of his legislative agenda in 2021. We're encouraged by the approach that he's taking. Um, We're kind of still reviewing his um, total proposal. It just came out um, last Wednesday and uh, we're we're encouraged by it. And we're certainly going to work towards making sure that uh, high-speed internet and broadband is available to folks. Big problem, not only, you know, not only in the rural areas, but, you know, you go up to, you know, that Torrington, Litchfield area, huge problem because, you know, there's not a lot of money to be made by these companies because there's so few people in those rural areas. And it's the same problem with some within some of the inner cities because it's not profitable for them to build out in an area where they're not going to make a lot of money. 
but it puts everybody at a disadvantage. And, you know, the a pandemic is always exposed, has exposed that. We've said that for many years at ARP, and we made, we made it a priority long before the pandemic um, that we, you know, we really have to get people connected. Um, you know, those in the rural areas, though in low income communities. Um, and we think the governor's approach is kind of headed in the right direction. So we're encouraged by that. And uh, we're going to continue to work to make sure that people have that access, as I said, for visitation rates, keeping you connected to your loved ones, whether they're in nursing homes or not, uh, keeping you connected uh, to have the ability to work remotely if you want or need to, um, and, and allowing for folks to be able to learn remotely. Uh, you know, it's not fair that somebody in, in a wealthy community's child can be safe at home uh, and remote learn, but somebody in inner city can't. So. It's an important issue. Well, as I said, we're encouraged and we're hopeful we'll get somewhere finally here in Connecticut on that issue. We've talked about this issue before. Landline telephone service, especially important to to seniors. And since we last spoke roughly a year ago, things have changed. Connecticut's main landline provider has filed for bankruptcy and is now trying to emerge from that bankruptcy. What's the latest when it comes to Frontier? The final decision on bankruptcy just came out um, a few days ago, and uh, we're encouraged. AARP submitted several sets of comments on on their bankruptcy. Uh, they've they've uh, guaranteed to remain um, in Connecticut, keep their headquarters in Connecticut, maintain staffing levels for several years, and have also committed to build out their um, high speed internet in areas where they currently aren't built out. Um, and there are many other protections for consumers that are built into it. Um, and those landline protections exist. And uh, we're going to continue to fight for that, particularly for those, um, as you say, that are are not in a position to be able to afford high-speed internet because um, they can't, you know, they may have it where they're located, but they just can't afford it. Um, or they just may not have it. And, and that only guarantee currently under the law that folks have is that old-fashioned landline um, and it's a lifeline for many folks. So we're going to continue to fight that fight. Um, we're encouraged uh, by the Pura decision, the regulator's decision on the bankruptcy petition of Frontier in Connecticut. And uh, we're going to continue to move forward and protect that um, because it's an essential tool um, for those, uh, particularly seniors and low-income individuals. What were other issues that the, the governor covered in his budget package that were of particular interest to AARP? Well, you know, as I say, we're very pleased with the high-speed internet uh, uh, proposal. We're also uh, very encouraged that, um, you know, the governor's making it, going to try to make it easier for those who have, uh, let's say, a healthcare license in one state to be able to move to Connecticut and find work uh, because, you know, you know, our population's aging and uh, workforce numbers, particularly around healthcare professionals are dwindling. So, you know, a lot of states have these interstate compacts when it comes to licensure. We don't have that in Connecticut. So we're encouraged by his efforts to do that. Um, you know, we're one of only eight states that isn't in a compact that makes licenses reciprocal. And, you know, um, so, so there are things that we're pleased with. One of the things we're very concerned with is the asset test that he has again proposed on the Medicare savings program. And this is the program that helps uh, low and moderate income individuals pay for uh, uh, seniors pay for prescription drugs and healthcare premiums. And, uh, you know, people have to understand the history of that program. 
that, that before we had the Medicare savings program as it's constructed in Connecticut, we had a prescription drug program called Compace. And the Connecticut state budget picked up the full cost of prescription drugs for those who were income eligible for that program. We worked with the legislature and previous administrations to create the current Medicare savings program that maximizes benefits, meaning folks get more benefits than they were getting under the old Compace program, uh, the old prescription drug program, and it was costing the state of Connecticut less money. So that was the deal. And now they're going to change the rules of the deal. And, um, you know, there's this notion, this phony notion that, that there are wealthy people getting benefits from the state of Connecticut and the federal government to pay for prescription drugs. And it's just not true. We're a high cost state um, and there is a need. And, uh, you know, the deal was we're going to save you money and increase benefit levels. And now they want to change the name of the game again. And that's just not fair. So we've been down this road before. We're going to we're going to do everything we can to make sure that proposal doesn't go anywhere. Uh, but uh, we're that was one of the big things that we were disappointed in. The other areas, you know, we were we were pleased with. Talk to me about voting access. You have a proposal that would allow people to vote by mail, not just in a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, so there are a couple of, of things that we'd like to see done. I'm a former registrar of voters. I did it for 16 years in the city of Ansonia. I know how the process works. Um, We, in the state of Connecticut, during the August primaries and November elections, threw executive order for the primary and legislation that was time limited for the general election, allowed there to be no excuse absentee balloting. We're, We're one of the few states that in the Constitution, it restricts who can get a, an absentee ballot in the state of Connecticut. Because of COVID, we were able to get around that. It survived legal challenges. And I think over 400,000 people voted by absentee ballot, record numbers. And our members and those that accessed it loved it. Um, it was a great thing. The problem is in order to make that permanent, we have to change the constitution. So there is going to be legislation to have a constitutional change to uh, make that permanent, which means in 2022, if we pass it with a supermajority, we can get that on the 2022 ballot. And if approved, then the legislature can enact legislation to have that no excuse absentee balloting. So if not, it would have to happen to legislative sessions. It would pa- could pass by simple majority. Then, But then that would mean the earliest it could get on the ballot would be uh, 2024 because it have, has to be on a statewide election ballot. Um, There is also another proposal, which is to allow for in-person early voting, which is a totally different thing. It would be voting the same way you would on election day at a precinct, but at a limited number of in-person voting sites. And uh, that passed in 20, uh, let's see, 19 by a a big margin, but not a supermajority. So that has to be voted on again as well this year. But that provision proposal could pass with a simple majority and end up on the ballot in 2022. So there is a good possibility we'll have to take these things in two steps. Um, It's highly likely that the in-person early voting would be on the ballot in 2022, and then the legislature would pass laws to enact that provision because the Constitution also states that in Connecticut, the only day for voting is the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. So that's why we need a constitutional change on both of these things. So it's likely the in-person early voting provision, if and when passed, will be on the 2022 ballot. And if we can get a supermajority, we can get the 
uh, no excuse absentee ballot on the 2022 ballot. If not, we'll have to go back next year and then get it on the 2024 ballot. So we're hopeful. By the way, there are also other things that can be changed statutorily that were very popular during the presidential election, like, for example, the ballot drop boxes that were at uh, town halls and secure locations all over uh, the state of Connecticut. Our folks loved using those drop boxes. Those were paid for with federal dollars from the CARES Act. They can't be used again without legislative change, because as I say, all those things were limited to just the 2020 elections. So there'll be legislation to change the law around things like that as well. So we're hopeful and we're encouraged. He is John Erlinghauser, Advocacy and Outreach Director for AARP Connecticut. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Aaron. It's always a pleasure to be with you, and I hope you stay safe and we get through this uh, thing relatively quickly. Same to you. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 